welcome to Better Done Than Perfect, a show for SaaS founders and product people. I'm your host, Jane Portman, and in this season we talk about user onboarding with fellow founders and guest experts. Our awesome guest today is Ramley John, the founder of Growth Marketing Today, fellow podcaster, a consultant, and we're going to talk about jobs to be done in user onboarding. This show is brought to you by Userlist, the best way for SaaS founders to send onboarding emails, segment your users based on events, and see where your customers get stuck in the product. Start your free trial today at userlist.com. Hi, Ramley. How's it going, Jane? I'm excited to chat about this. I'm like, this is my jam. Like, user onboarding is something that I've been thinking about, writing about, recording videos about dreaming about i guess we shared that passion now i'm excited <laughs> i'm excited you've been an interviewer of so many amazing people and it's so great to flip the tables today and have you as a guest thank you for inviting me i it's such a treat when other podcasters interview podcasters like it just makes the whole experience <laughs> smooth, smoother right like they know what's gonna happen they know the whole process in the back end so tell us a bit about yourself and uh, what you do at Product-Led Growth, at uh, your own brand, Growth Marketing Today, your podcast, everything you do online. Give us an overview. Yeah. Like you said, my name is Ramley John. I actually started my career in computer science. That's what I studied. So I was a software engineer for four years before I was like, I'm going to do startups. And I did a startup and that that startup didn't work out that well and it failed because I didn't know anything marketing. I built this really cool product and I didn't do any marketing. I did. I just hope people would come to it. That's when I really got into growth and marketing, like really focusing on paid ads eight years ago. And I started like doubling down on this, throwing more money into ads. I was getting a lot of signups for some of my clients, for a lot of my clients. And one thing that I noticed as I started looking into the data, I said, hey, can I get access to your database? They gave me access to their SQL, to their back. And I'm starting to realize a lot of the people that I'm getting signed up to to their app are actually not experiencing that value. Everybody in user onboarding talks about this aha moment, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But also, they're not converting into paying customers, which is like, what the heck am I doing? I'm, I'm, Yeah, they're happy because their marketing team, their mandate is, get more signups, get more people to try out our product. And that's what I'm doing. I'm helping them do that. But at the back end, I'm, is that sustainable? Is that a great thing for the business? I don't think so. I think that's when uh, about a year, in the year, year and a half ago, I really do- started doubling down into user onboarding. Uh, and that's where I work with, with Wes at Product-Led Growth. I do onboarding teardowns. I do onboarding consulting. But you talked about growth marketing today. That is also a podcast. That was three years ago. I started that show just to learn more about growth and marketing. And I've talked to some really amazing folks like yourself, like April Dunford and Rand Fishkin and Hidden Shaw. And yeah, that's just a little bit about me. As a consultant, I wonder if you have, have free time as a consultant, but apparently you do. So with your clients, who are your clients and uh, what do you typically do? How do you help them out? Like, do you come in, write the onboarding emails yourself? Do you do overall guidance, interviews, anything? Yeah, that's so I, I really do. So my ideal client, I really focus in on product-led companies. Ones that doesn't have, like the purely self-serve, they don't have a sales team as well. 
And I do, yeah, that's what I do. I come in from as high-level high strategic, like planning out, my, helping them map out their, their onboarding process, and as well as the tactical side. If they needed help with, with writing onboarding emails, I can do that. Though I tap into other people's expertise in, in copywriting. Copywriting is not my, my strong suit. It's more of the analytical and planning and, and designing stage of that. Tell us about your method that you apply in your consulting work and everywhere else. And that seems to be focused on jobs to be done. And we've had a few interviews here and jobs to be done keep coming up in every single conversation, which means that you're probably onto something. So what is jobs to be done in your mind and how does that apply to the ideal user onboarding? Yeah, there's this great book. I forgot who wrote it. I just I was just reading it. It's like when coffee meets kale. And this guy, he's also a computer scientist, and he talks a lot about how jobs be done is really try is understanding the primary reason what triggered somebody to try your product. What is that that emotion or what is that social reason or that functional reason that somebody is signing up for your product? And once you figure that out, you can really personalize the whole onboarding experience to that it also not just applies to onboarding but a very early stage imagine if you come into a site and you they, you read a site and they're like oh you're signing up we're solving your problem your problem it related to bookkeeping and you you click on sign up you get to the product and you look at it around it's like what the heck this is not a bookkeeping app this is actually helping solve my problem about project management what how successful would you, would you be to onboard that user if there's that broken, that misconnection between what they perceive is the job that you're trying to solve versus what is actually experiencing on the back end? So that's how I see jobs to be done. It's like so critical in really optimizing that whole onboarding experience. So you talked a little bit about my process, how that fits in. I've, I've actually been thinking about this and writing a blog post around like, what is my framework? And I've kind of you know, everybody has this this cute framework that you can like. Every letter starts; it has a a, a stage in your framework, and I'm actually uh, about to release this. I call it the Eureka framework. This is how I help my client. So the very first stage starts with E. E starts with establish a user uh, activation growth team. So a lot of people think that, well, okay, you're uh, I'm going to be helping you or the the growth team or the product team optimize their onboarding, and that's it. The reality is like onboarding is like the intersection of so many different teams. Like imagine in the customer journey, that piece in the onboard is like the bridge where if you have a sales team, that's where sales meet. It's where marketing meets. It's where uh, support meets. It's where the product team meets. Like if this, all of this uh, cross-functional teams is not working together to have a shared vision, have a shared idea, have a shared image of what a successful onboarding onboarded user is whatever it's not going to work it's not it's, it's very unlikely that it's going to work if it's just the growth team doing the solo thing or the product team doing the onboarding team really like user onboarding is that whole process uh from from the beginning when you make that promise about your jobs to be done all the way to them becoming a committed user so that's the first stage just e uh, the next stage is understand your uh desired your user's desired outcome so really that's all about uh, it goes back to understanding what is the, your user's job to be done? What is the primary goal that they sign up for? And that's established way before somebody signs up. A big mistake that people have when thinking about user onboarding 
is that it starts when somebody clicks on sign up and starts filling out the form or it starts when somebody gets to your product. But we've already talked about it. it what you promise and what you stated in your, your marketing pages, your ad campaigns, or your emails, what you stated there is inconsistent with what they see. Once they get to the product, it's not going to work. It really isn't going to work. So it's really about understanding user pro- uh, on your user's desired outcome. What is it that they're willing to take a look at and really helping my clients figure that out? So that's the second step. So that's EU and then the next one is R and that's R stands for refining your success metric for user activation. So having an idea of what, what does a successful, successfully onboarded user looks like. For a lot of people, it's, hey, just get them to the, the aha moment. Everybody talks about the aha moment. Uh, but the reality is I'm going to push that further. And I think the goal of user onboarding is not to just get people to the aha moment. I've, I feel like that's not enough. The reality is that you have to push further and drive even further than that. I call it the, the tipping point. That's when the user shows that they've made some commitment to your product or your app. So really user onboarding is about helping users build habits about using your product. And just getting it in their first aha moment is not enough. Like think about Slack. Like Slack, for a lot of people, they think Slack's aha moment is, well, it is sending the first message. If you remember like how easy it was to sign up for Slack, find somebody on your team and then send them a, a Slack message. That's the aha moment, right? Like, great. Uh, the onboarding team is done. The Slack's onboarding team is done. They're done. They're, 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 their job is done. They can leave. But Stuart Butterfield, in an interview with a first, first round, he said that that's not enough. He, his goal with their activation team is to get teams to send 2,000 messages. And that's what he calls successfully onboarded because what he, they found in their backend is that 93% of those teams who send 2,000 messages are still with Slack today. So really pushing that, refining that onboarding, that user activation metric and say, hey, let's push further than like, oh, sending the first email or sending the first Slack message. It's about repetition uh, when you're building a habit and really refining that to what it looks like for users to really show that they've, they made some commitment about that. Uh, the, yeah, the fourth step is evaluate your user uh, journey. So just really looking at optimizing that. Like, are there steps in the onboarding, uh, the, the experience uh, that users are, are facing through this product or app that I'm, with a client that I'm helping that can be pushed down later? Like, we, we talk a lot about frictionless, like making sure you're removing as much friction as, as possible. Yes, that's true, but there are certain frictions that you probably want to keep there. For example, for user lists, I did a turn-on useless onboarding experience. One of the things that you have is a welcome video. And people can be like, why would I have a welcome video that's adding friction? If I can just remove that welcome video, wouldn't they get to the app faster? Well, I, I say that there are some friction that is good. And the, the friction that are good are things that help you build an emotional attachment to the product or to the founders. Ones that help you delight. So, for example, with Wave, one of the things, one of the friction they added was uh, when you upload your logo during an onboarding experience, they actually show you what an invoice looks like using your logo. They up, they update this image with your logo with your brand colors right away. It's like, well, that's actually good friction because it's actually adding value to the customer. So, there's a fourth step. The fifth step is really to create that environment for user success. And in, in Wes's uh, 
blowing alley framework causes the product bumper. So once you get into the product now, what are ways that you can create an environment of success? There are so many different things that people talk about, like you know, product tours uh, and, and empty states, like all of that, all of those things. You don't, you don't, you don't have to put all of, all of that tactics or all that tools into your product to make it successful. It's all about creating an environment where user can get to that value as quickly as possible. Uh, whether that's with user list, what I really love is it was very minimalistic. Right away, you dropped in. Empty state was very clear. It's very, it's very thoughtful, and they direct me to what information I need. Versus something like let's say AppQs, where you sign up for it, they do provide a product tour where you have to click around because that's how they design it. It's all about like designing a, a place or creating an environment for success. That's a sixth one. Sixth one is keep new users engaged using conversational bumpers. So once we have all the product stuff, all the in-app stuff. Let's think about the uh, out out app stuff, the the things that are not happening in the apps. So for example, emails, like that's a big thing. Some people use you can use Facebook messages. Like there is Facebook message tools, like you can really connect and remind users to come back. Or uh, SMS, like all of that stuff uh, is something to think about when you're thinking about uh, building that engagement and having a conversation with the user. And the very final thing that that is in this Eureka Eureka. Uh, framework is analyzing the results and repeating it. Like that's one thing that people have to realize is, yeah, they're going to hire a consultant. They might hire me. They might hire somebody else. They might hire you to improve their their onboarding. But really, it has to be a process. It has to be a continual improvement because your users your users will adapt, your product will adapt, and it needs to be a continual process that goes over uh, over and again. So that yeah, it's just it's a seven step Eureka framework that I use to. To help our clients with their onboarding. This is perfect. Thanks so much for walking us through that. It's literally like a textbook sequence of what should be done. And I have a ton of questions that I'm going to ask you about each of the stages. And the first one relates to who's actually responsible for, for the onboarding. And one of our favorite recommendations, like when it comes to actually implementing successful onboarding, is assigning a champion inside your organization. Regardless of the team size, who's going to be responsible for driving that across all teams? What's your approach? Do you think, because you've been on the marketing front and you think that it's going to be marketers doing onboarding. I come from more of a product <laughs> angle and it feels to me that like product people, designers, founders should care about this more because it happens inside the product. What do you ultimately think? Who should take care of it? That is the, that is such a, a a rough question because you're right. Like we could be fighting all day long. At the end of the day, I believe that it really depends on the company and who they want it to be. Like if they're, if if it's a marketer or it's a product, as long as they're championing and making sure that it's cross-functional. Like this person doesn't have to know everything about that that whole uh, that whole user journey, the, all the steps. As long as they're pulling in. Yeah, product is going to be super important, but also marketing is going to be super important for the emails and, and the SMS and all the auto app stuff that is there. But also, how about support? Support needs to be there as well and customer success because there will be some customers who will get frustrated if, uh, and they do need that that head. So I think regardless of who owns it, just assign it to somebody. And 
if I had to assign it, I would assign, I could assign it. I believe it should be to, to product that, that, you know, I help product like companies. I'm on your, I'm on your side here that I think product should own it, but they need to pull in uh, the marketing, the communications team, the, the support team into it. I've been in situations where I'm working with a product team and all they're designing, the product team's designing emails for the marketing team. And the marketing team is like, this doesn't align this this doesn't align with how we word it. This is not gonna the way that you design this email sequence, the tool that we have, it's not gonna work. So you know, make it, that's what I would say. Just make sure whoever owns it, it's a cost functional effort. Another question I have for you is about this consistency about the jobs to be done that you promised when you were marketing the product and what the user sees when they sign up for the product. And this kind of consistency and transparency is like a recurring theme in everything you do. For example, when you run an ad and then you go to the landing page, they've got to be consistent with each other. Same way yeah. the, the entire marketing message should be consistent with the product experience. Mm. Unfortunately, this is not the case for like a vast majority of mm. products out there. So let's imagine somebody has certain jobs in mind when they sign up and then they are dropped in the product. And how do we ensure that they're okay and satisfied and uh, their goals are met if it's just the you know blank first run experience? <laughs> That's Yeah, I, I think you're right. Like there's that, I love how you did that, the consistency with the, all the way through from the ad to the landing page. That's uh, the quality score that Google gives out is one. That's one of the things, the factors they they look at. Even Facebook is consistency. I I would say if you can if you can segment uh, users or people as as early as possible as to what it is the job that they they've hired your product to do, the better it is. The better that you can give them and serve them and and bring them to that value that the that whatever the customer job that they're trying to accomplish. Uh, and an example I can think of is, let's say, let, let's take a look at HubSpot. I, I don't know if they do this, but let's say I'm coming in. What do I do? They, HubSpot has many different products. That's why I picked them. They have HubSpot, HubSpot sales, HubSpot marketing now, marketing hub. They have HubSpot uh, support, I believe. One of the things that you can segment them as early as possible is let's say somebody signs up from a HubSpot marketing page. Why, why can't, you know, there are tools out there that you can track and encode UTM parameters or some kind of parameters right at the beginning to signify that this user sign up from a page related to the specific job to be done. That's that's what, and then now you can customize the experience, right? From the, oh, I, hey, you sign up for HubSpot marketing here. Here's where you can find the value as quickly as possible. Uh, in a situation where they they sign up from like a homepage or like it's very generic, it's, you have different product lines. That's something that you can take a look at asking uh, at the very front during the, the whole sign up process is like, what brought you to our app today? Is it job one, customer job two, customer job three? So that and giving them a reason like we want to we want to customize your experience as you onboard into our product to get the most value to that. The people I think would really appreciate that. So that's something that I would say in response to that is like, hey, if you can segment what is the customer job as early as possible, the easier it is for you to help people accomplish what they sign up for your app for. 
we had a Samuel Kulik here on the show, and uh, he basically follows the same lines very much. And um, he said once on Twitter that uh, segmentation is like conversion crack cocaine or something like that <laughs> for SaaS conversions. <laughs> basically, it's it's really, really powerful and important. You're in touch with so many SaaS companies through product-led summits, etc., and your uh, podcast. Are you aware of some companies out there who are doing this successfully and probably writing about it? Because otherwise, how would we know? Like Samuel says, how would we know if something's done smoothly? Like we shouldn't know about that we were like automatically segmented. So from behind the scenes, are you aware of any good examples? Yeah, I am about to release this third one actually in a few weeks. One of my favorite uh, app where they do have the multiple product lines and they need to segment as early as possible is Wave. Wave is a financial software for entrepreneurs. It sounds very generic, but they really have four product lines. They have a payroll uh, system or a software. They have an invoicing system or uh, invoicing software. They have a payment software. So if you send an invoice, you can get it back. Actually, sorry, that's only three. They have three main product lines. So when you sign up for Wave, right from the beginning, they ask you what what made you sign up. Uh, why did you? What made you sign up for Wave today? And you have three options. Actually, there's four. The fourth option is I'm just checking out Wave, right? I'm just checking this too. Like somebody told me to sign up. So now you're, they're starting to segment it right from the beginning. You click one of the options there, and I thought I I kid you not, I I I tried out all four of them, and I got four different product experiences, and I got four different emails. So I, when I signed up for invoicing, I got an, an email from uh, telling me how valuable invoicing is. When I signed up for this other product uh, for the payroll, I got another email. But also the wording in the uh, the rest of the signup changes. So uh, when you know it's a three step process, this is the uh, the second step and the third step. They they start using words like, for example, if you click on invoice, you know you're you're about to get paid three times faster with wave invoices. We've sent uh, over six billion six billion invoices last year or something like that. And then here's other information we need for you to to fill out your to really customize this experience on that third step they ask different information like how many invoices do you send how often do you send it and then once you get to the the next step as well when you start they start giving you a product tour they also do it something differently where they point you to actually creating an invoice as quickly as possible so i would say wave is it's like my my wow, wow factor for once I have product clients, uh, multiple product clients where it does get complicated. At the very early stage, you probably don't have to do this where you have you have one customer job, double down on that, which is what you know, user list is doing. And you're doing a good job with that. It's like really doubling down on that one customer job and really make sure that flows through. As a UX consultant in the past, I can add my two cents that a lot of times uh, what the app does is reflected in their first level navigation. So possibly you could somehow turn on and off some sections of your app or just pay specific attention to how your navigation is named, how it works, and to make sure that it reflects the expectations of of the first time visitor. So good. Yeah, that's totally true. I think that that's such a good word. The the word ex- expectation. Like I think like uh, the whole journey in onboarding is like there's this four forces to progress making forces that that is attached to jobs to be done. One of the forces that pull people away from actually a new behavior or a new product 
is that anxiety, the anxiety of something new. And when you're anxious about something, one of the best ways to to squash uh, anxiousness is for somebody who knows more about you telling you what to expect next. You know, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. And really, like, if you can set clear expectations, whether that's just from the button, like just just a button that says next sometimes is not very clear. And like that, that gives me enough anxiousness to like, will this take me somewhere else? Like, will it give me spam or will it give me like, instead of next, it would be like, continue to add your your name or your company information. So you're totally right. I think expectation is such a big, big concept in onboarding. I really hated some real life example when uh, professionals like medical professionals, when you're, you know, you've been anxious and you finally made up your mind about giving up and doing like medical procedure that you know nothing about. And mm. they always behave like you do know everything and they're mm. assuming that you do. But there are so many like absolute human plain English explanations of what's going to happen <laughs> that they never give you unless you like question them really hard. I really, really, they could improve that part of their service. I love, so I love that analogy. I'm going to use that one that you're right. Like imagine going to a surgery, you have one doctor that ex- explains and uh, clear, uh, here's what to expect. Here's what's going to happen in plain English that you can understand versus another, another doctor does like, gibberish like all this sphincter like like medical terms like you're gonna get scared you're probably gonna go run away and not go back to that doctor yeah and there is this uh you know ways of explaining what's gonna happen to you personally like tomorrow you'll be able to drive and go home something like that blending that into the context of, of what's going on behind the scenes that again exists in your framework right looking at what what's happening outside the app yeah, for sure. Like, think like really making sure that that, and it's it's not just uh outside of the app. I think even in in the app, I, as long as you're very clear about providing expectations right at the get go, often it gets wordy. One of the apps, one of the teardowns I did, where like it was so good in terms of that explaining the expectation, and then the button copy was like really you know what's gonna happen was it's the hey email app by Basecamp. Like they just did it step by step. It was very wordy, but like I knew what was going to happen next. And really like, I think that's, that's very clear, even from their emails all the way to their in-app stuff. Like it was, they, they set their expectations so beautifully and clear. One of the things you mentioned was removing friction. And that of course is a very popular and generic recommendation. Yeah. Like I'm sure you have great examples of how, specific friction points were removed in some of the products out there could you give us those examples now yeah one of the one of the friction points in a lot of products is getting people to verify their emails like i understand i understand that some apps they get a ton of spam they get a ton of email sign up maybe because they they got on the forum somewhere and now people are trying to i don't hack their app or, or whatever but really, like there are tools out there that can also verify emails without having people to jump. You know, imagine the whole experience, how interrupted that is. You sign up for something, you get a screen, they don't say sorry, even like, go check your email. <laughs> like in non-plain English, they, they, there's no empathy in those that, that wording. They didn't, they, a lot of apps don't even say, uh, we're just validating, making sure that you're a human and you, you know, we're getting a ton of spam, which you would expect. To, say, to hear in real life, like if you if they make you do something, 
a company that that Wes and I worked with is Snapon, and when they cut off that two-step uh, verification for their their emails to sign up for Snapa, Snapa is like an easy way for for editors to create uh, visual images where it's a, it's a little bit like Canva, but a little bit different. Like it is a, a lot like Canva, but essentially they cut that off, and they saw like a twenty-three percent increase in their not just their sign up rate but in their uh their revenue their monthly recurring revenue in about six months just by cutting that off so i think that's one friction point that you know if you're going to do it make sure that you at least sound human when you say it but secondly try to experiment with tools that can verify like whether that's uh the recaptcha that google does or whatever whatever tool that you can use to make sure to you don't get that spam one of the primary principles that we try to preach is that the first run experience is what is is exactly when the user has the most energy and motivation and everything. So on one hand, you do want to remove the friction. On the other hand, while they do have that energy, you want them to fill out as many forms as possible, sort of, and do as much as much setup as possible. Do you have any advice on how to find that balance between removing friction points and actually writing that energy and overcoming friction points using that? Yeah, I think that's that's part of the I think the fourth the fourth step in, in the framework is evaluate and optimize your new user journey. It's like if if there's any if there's any friction that you're going to add I think it needs to make sure that it it helps users get to that that aha moment or that first first value as quickly as possible, and it's exactly what they need versus something that they might want to know later, right? Like is this is this field or is this feature something that will help them succeed in completing that customer job in that that first experience? Because you're right, the energy level is high. And they, their motivation is probably the highest at that point. And if there are things that you're getting them to do that doesn't add value to getting them to that customer job, then I would suggest either eliminate it, that's one option, or you can delay it after they've com- completed the customer job. Like I said, I, I brought it up earlier, like there are some friction that are good. Like there's like, you know, welcome videos or welcome messages. Some people would say that's, that's friction, but I would say that it's actually adding value and getting people more excited about that the, accomplishing a customer job. Because now, if it's the founders who are in, in that video, I'm excited not just because the, the for the product, but because I'm rooting for the founder. Right, the founder that humanizes the brand. I'm more likely to be motivated because now now there's a, a human connection versus just like there's impersonal. Uh, I'm more likely to just leave and and not come back. Let's talk a little bit about success metrics. And again, everybody knows they are supposed to have this, uh, well, success metrics or North Star metric that can be different for the business, I guess. But nonetheless, when a founder is puzzled uh, what success metrics their product should have, because there are multiple features, multiple things the product can do. Do you have any advice on how to pick the right one or the right few? Yeah, it goes back to the jobs to be done. Like if, it, like let's say the customer job is to like for Wave. If you sign up for invoices, the success metric needs to revolve around sending invoices. Because I sign up to send invoices, the, one of the metrics should be did the people who sign up for Wave invoices send an in, at least one invoice or create an invoice successfully. 
that's the first success metric. And then what I talked about is refining your success metric in the framework is like, have they sent enough invoices that signify that they're probably going to be sticking around for with Wave for the longer term? They've made that commitment. So that's when you can take a look at the, the, the data and look at reg- regression and cohort testing to see, hey, like if, if they send five invoices, are they 95% more likely to stick around? Or if they send four, what is that threshold that they've made that commitment and told you, hey, I love this product. I have, uh, I'm now starting to become a regular user. So j- just to recap, I think there's two things. First, your success metric needs to be tied to your jobs to be done. And once again, if you don't, if, if whoever listened to this, you don't have and figure out where your jobs to be done or you, your whole marketing or your whole product experience isn't around jobs to be done, then it needs to change, right? Because your success metric will also be tied <laughs> to that. And then the second thing is to really just to make sure that you're driving past that first, what they call aha moment. Just go for a little bit further, especially for onboarding. It's like, what is, like I said, ha- repetition, habits is all about repetition. What is that X metric? Like we, you know, Facebook has, I had seven friends in 10 days. And then I talked about Slack, 2000 messages in, in 30 days for our team. What is that multiple times they've done that experience enough that they've signified that, yes, I love this product. I'm going to stick around. On the practical side, what are the most popular tools for product analytics these days? Because we've got to have the tool where the success metrics are displayed. On one hand, when you do, for example, behavior-based onboarding, you got to channel those metrics into a tool like UserList, for example, or many others, where those metrics drive communications that you'll be sending. On the other hand, there are more advanced analytic tools. So could you give us maybe a few that are most popular? And maybe some options that could be more affordable for bootstrapped founders, for example. Yeah, I mean, I one of the tools that I've used in terms of purely just quantitative analytics is people are not going to like this, but run SQL, <laughs> learn some a little bit of SQL, especially early on. Once you figure, because that helps you figure out what are the things that I'm looking at and what do I need to to care about. And once you have that, that's the kind of foundation for figuring out. Uh, how do I visualize this? So once you have that, I would look at tools. I've looked at tools like uh, Chart Mogul, where it pulls and you know directly connects with a database and really pulls in that information. Uh, there's also a mixed panel where you can pull in that information. I would say that any analytics tool that you have, don't just go for like a, I might be getting too technical, but like a, a JavaScript implementation, implementation where it's at the front end. Because you know there there might be some conversions or there might be some information that will be missed. Make sure that whatever analytics tool you use can connect with your database. So there is an API available that you can you know pull in information. So now you know for sure like oh this this information is as accurate as as possible. This is such an important point for us because at UserList, we always encourage the deep integration through the API because that allows you to see the forest behind the trees to focus only on the few key <laughs> metrics and with a java strip snippet which is unfortunately much easier to install you get like page views and what is mm. page views and product <laughs> value these are like very very rarely directly connected right agree yeah i told i, I love that you you're such a good person to think of this imagery and this analogy you're right it, it is the forest behind the trees right like you're digging deeper. Like, you know, JavaScript is very, it's very uh, scratching the surface. Like page views, that's good. They, they saw 10 page views, but like 
imagine how much more meaningful it would be if you can send a message or you can say, hey, this person did this, uh, looked at this feature, checked out and actually clicked on this button or like they actually sent an email or sent whatever. Now you can be like, I want to only talk to these people. Now you can go a deeper level into segmentation. You talked a little bit earlier about Samuel Ulick saying that segmentation is like, you know, crack on for marketing or product. This is like double crack. Like this is like triple crack. If you can go deeper with your with your analytics, now you can really, really deep segment even deeper rather than going shallow and uh, sending something generic. Thank you so much for sharing your insight today. I wish we had another couple hours to cover a lot of other points from your framework. But as we're wrapping up uh, today, could you give us the ultimate advice, two pieces, one do and one don't for those founders who are looking to improve their user onboarding? Yeah, I, I think the first thing is let's talk about do. I love, I, I'm going to borrow that to my show too, like one do, one don't. The first do is we've talked about this. You you've talked to other onboarding experts about this. Figure out your jobs to be done and revolve your marketing, your product, your your sales, your onboarding around this. Because it literally is it literally is like this secret code, this this cheat code that you have. Once you have that, like once you figure that out, now you can be more crystal clear about your positioning, you can be more crystal clear with your the experiences can be more personalized. So really, I think the first do is figure that out. And that is, I would say, if you haven't figured that out, that will be the number one priority because, you know, like I said, it's, it's everything. In terms of, of the don't, I think uh, often onboarding is, is bundled. You know, if you look at the pirate metrics with acquisition, activation, retention, revenue, and referral, Onboarding is usually bundled into activation. And really, they think about activation as just after acquisition, after somebody signs up, that's when onboarding starts. And after they paid, that's when uh, onboarding stops. The reality is, first of all, onboarding starts before that, that experience. We talked about that promise. Don't just think that activation or onboarding is when people somebody signs up and somebody makes their first payment. At the very front end, the promises you make early on really does affect uh, how successful you are with onboarding new, uh, uh, onboarding new users. So you got to involve the marketing team and the sales team because because your positioning will matter in terms of what what people are signing for. You know, on the back end, in, in terms of like the success, a lot of people think, oh, they've paid uh, that I'm done, my my hands are done, I'm good. The reality is as well, there are people who are paying for apps that are actually not using it. Think about for yourself and for the listeners, how many apps have you paid for when the pandemic hits? You look at your credit card, it's like, what the heck? I'm still using this app. <laughs> like literally, like payment is not indicative of value. And really what you need to go deeper, like even Jonathan Kim, there was he's the founder and CEO of AppQs. They had a 14-day trial before and what they found in their data was like there was a lot of people when their price point was low enough where people were willing to extend their trial by paying the first month so that they can try it out even more. And the reality is for a lot of people when they like, oh, I'm going to pay this one, they don't end up making that commitment and they churn out after the first payment. That's why a lot of apps, a lot of products, a lot of SaaS companies, their retention curve is very, very like a lot of people churn. Uh, the first uh, 60 to 90 days. So really what you need to be doing for your onboarding on the back end 
is go deeper than this the payment. Go deeper than the aha moment. I would say go to that tipping point, that moment when they've signified that they've actually built a habit with your product. I feel that we talked a lot about jobs to be done today. We never discussed in detail how to actually figure them out because it's a popular technique. There are multiple resources, how to interview users, et cetera, et cetera. What are your favorite ones where our listeners can head over to and educate themselves about interviews and everything else? Yeah, like I said, there was this book. There's this book that I just read. It's called When Coffee Meets Kale. And he also has a blog, jtbd.info. And usually if you Google jobs to be done, and then like, his is probably on the first five, the top five. And like I said, he wrote a book about it. It's a really weird title, like When Coffee Meets Kale or When Coffee Fights Kale or something like that. But it's been my go-to. I've been like reading that. Like he he breaks down jobs he's done. He, he talks about uh, customer interviews. But how about, how about for yourself? I'm curious if you have resources. You're probably more of the expert in the product side for jobs to be done. But like, what are some of the resources you, you take a look at? There are definitely plenty. One book that I find particularly concise and practical is the one by Jim Callback. And I also had him at UI Breakfast Podcast lately. So I'm going to link to both in the show notes. And he has this just mindset approach that jobs to be done is not, it's not a so much as a practical method, but more of a thinking method of of how you approach everything. And it's not about your product because people never have a job of interacting with your product. They have much other, much more important jobs around that. And you're just one piece of the puzzle, essentially. And understanding that makes everything look different. Yeah, I'm going to go check it out. I'm always looking for more books around this. Right, Ramley, thanks so much once again. And if listeners want to follow your podcast, your writing, where can they do that online? Yeah, there's three easy places. Uh, the first one is at productled.com. I've do, done some other onboarding teardowns. So if you go to actually onboardingteardowns.com, that will redirect you to the teardowns I've done. Uh, I've wrote, written several pieces about onboarding for ProductLed. Uh, in terms of for other stuff that I'm working on, like the podcast, you can go to uh, growthtoday.fm or just look for Growth Marketing Today and you can find more information about that, that show. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you so much, Jane. I really do appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you found the episode useful, please spread the word about this new show on Twitter mentioning UserList or leave us a review on iTunes.